You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There were a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. A very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, this could be a very interesting day in Parliament. Boris Johnson's been warned by members of his own party he faces a very damaging defeat on his COVID regulations if he doesn't give Parliament a say over future rules. MPs vote later today on whether to extend the government's emergency virus powers and, failing some kind of climb down, uh, there might be a defeat on the cards. Yeah, so remember, it's just a regular renewal. These come up every six months, the emergency powers that were enacted at the start of the pandemic. But what some MPs want to do is add an amendment onto that that gives MPs a say if we introduce anything else. It's a big debate about liberty. It's a big debate about just how much power the government has. So it gets quite philosophical. Backbench support for a veto gaining steam yesterday after Johnson was forced to apologise for wrongly explaining the government's own restrictions. We've already seen one climb down, haven't we, Roger, over the internal market bill after we had some backbench support there. And no signs of any sort of resolution on this one. Well, it, not at the moment, but we're keeping an eye on it. It's a moving uh, event, as you might say, and uh, changing perhaps by the hour. Well, let's talk about who might join the rebellion. Joining us now, very pleased to say, is Andrea Jenkins, Conservative MP for Morley and Outwood and Deputy Chair of the Re- European Research Group. Andrea, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, just tell us, what are your thoughts about this process? Do you think that, for example, your ERG colleague Steve Baker is right to say, no, there has to be parliamentary scrutiny? Um, I'll I'll be very honest, you know, as I normally am. Um, It's very difficult for me, this, because, you know, I believe in, you know, um, our freedoms, etc. But I also can see, um, look, our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, he nearly died from COVID. And, you know, he's trying his utmost to protect our British citizens and doing all he can. Um, by putting these measures in place. So I, I do think that, you know, like in the US as well, um, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. You know, what the critics, if we don't put measures in place and lots of people die, then we'll get criticised. So I, I think it's a very difficult situation to be in. So, so where will your vote go if this amendment does come up? Are you going to back some sort of a parliamentary veto? No, I'm, I'm going to back the government on this. Um, this time. I mean, you know, I've always been a bit of a rebel, especially during, um, you know, um, the withdrawal agreement under Theresa May. But I, I, I do think that look, as a government, they are trying the best to do what's right to protect the British public. And um, so I will, will support the government on this. 
But we've seen, Andrea, that the British public is, well, bristling, I think, would be one way of putting it at some of this. And many of your colleagues, including, of course, Steve Baker, but also uh, the chair of the 1922 committee, feel that this is going too far and that there needs to be liberty. And they would describe it, I'm sure, in yes. those terms. Surely as a Conservative and with your background, that's something very yes. close to your heart. Like I said, it's something I've been wrestling with myself. Um, and, I, and I think what a, a big issue is, you know, lockdown back in March, um, you know, um, people, I, I guess, um, you know, they had to, you know, they wasn't seeing their loved ones and they really had to make a lot of sacrifices. But then to um, have their freedom back, so to speak, um, um, you know, the Eat Out to Help Out schemes, you know, um, helping to boost the economy, back in august and then feeling that oh no w w these um are being retracted again it it's difficult for the general public definitely it's difficult for me you know it's difficult for everybody but i do think that the government are trying the best here and um they are trying literally trying to stop um further deaths so it's difficult Andrea, but the government do we need to go further here? I'm just looking at these virus cases, a record number in the uk yesterday we had measures come in earlier this month it doesn't look like they're working um, I mean, I think only only time will t tell um, with this. Um, um, but I mean, back to the um, what um, Sir Graham and Steve are trying to do. Um, I, I think we've also got to look at that Parliament does have scrutiny anyway. You know, the votes on restrictions must happen within 28 days, um, as the case with previous regulations, um, if not approved by both houses. So um, we, we've already within Parliament, um, you know are able to contain the executive. What What about the suggestion, though, that, that what we're seeing here is a situation that's rapidly running out of control without the government necessarily having a handle on it? It's one thing saying, yes, there should be tough measures. Another, when the Prime Minister, for example, can't quite remember what they should be, or even one of his junior ministers the same. Uh, this gets to a point where people feel there simply isn't a steady hand on the tiller. Um, I mean, if I can go down to, you know, um, I think um, a good yardstick is always what do your constituents think? And um, and I, you know, get the emails from my constituents into my phone, so I'm always scanning them and, 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 and really seeing what um, people are feeling on the ground. And I, I've had very little, um, I think it's social media, which is actually, you know, very strong on, and, uh, on, 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 you know, so-called taking back our liberties and supporting Sir Graham and, and Steve. But actually, on the ground constituents, I'm, I'm having very little, um, you know, people supporting um, what they're saying. Um, and the majority of constituents that I speak to, even sort of walking down my high street in Morley, um, people are saying the support in the government, you know, the support packages have put there, and they, they know that the government's doing their best. So I, I, I do think a bit of a storm's whipped up. Yes, we've seen the protests um, in, in London, um, but, but that, uh, you know, there's <laughs> millions and millions of people in the UK, and not everybody is thinking that way. Yeah, so it's not something you see really having a cut through. What about the general situation in your area? Are, where are we at in terms of restrictions and, and how are people getting on with that? Yeah, I mean, only this week we've seen Leeds. Um, Leeds, the cases have been on the rise, which um, covers part of my um, constituency. The other part is um, covers by Wakefield um, District. And um, further measures have been put in place um, there. Um, but I'm I'm not getting a, a lot of kickback. I think the the 
biggest frustration I've heard from constituents is the 10, 10 o'clock thing, which is going nationally anyway. Nowhere pubs and that are concerned because, you know, people are going out still. But I think, you know, the, um, and that tends to be the younger generation we're finding. But I think, you know, g- generally that um, people are quite respectful um, in, in my area because we, we you know, we, we do need to get a hold of this. Let me ask you to put your uh, ERG hat on for a moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, clearly this is an interesting moment in Brexit terms. Uh, to put it mildly, yeah. we're moving into what seems to be the final uh, week of talks. The Internal Markets Bill um, seems likely to be held up in the House of Lords now, even though it's passed the Commons. I mean, it's really not going to have much effect that the government wants it to have because probably it won't get through until after the deadline now, will it? Um, no, no, I agree. Um, you know, it's the 15th of October, which is the, the key moment now um, in negotiations. But um, for once, we have a fantastic negotiating team. We, we didn't have it under our last administration. You know, um, we gave in to the EU far too much. And, you know, this country is putting our, um, our negotiating team now is putting our country's interests ahead of the EU's. And, and I think that's so important. And in any negotiation, you've got to be prepared to walk away. And we've got a team now who is prepared to do that and have put measures in place, um, you know, to, to protect the UK if, if we do go on WTA. And I see how that ability to walk away is important if you think about your negotiating position. But if you look at the reality, the economy is getting absolutely mullered from the coronavirus. No deal will only compound that. We can't do that, can we, to people who are already suffering? Look at look at the Japanese deal. And did you see today that um, we are... The Japanese are, deal is um, tiny, Andrea. Yes, but, but look, today, um, you know, we are selling British beef to the US for the first time since the BSE, you know, in a decade. So, you know... Um, once we are free, this is about sovereignty, Brexit is for me and for most of our country um, who voted to leave. This is about sovereignty. It's, it's making our own decisions and, and ensuring that um, I think a key part of this is the ECJ, um, you know, do, do not have any um, jurisdiction over British law. This but Andrew, that comes, that's what comes afterwards. What you're in a position of now is maybe in the next few months we could see, even under government estimates, queues of 7,000 lorries in the southeast of England. I mean, all kinds of issues just getting to that point, which can be really painful on an economy already in difficulties because of the virus. Um, you, you say that, but it wouldn't be in any interest. Um, remember that we, um, you know, um, we sell stuff to the EU as well, and are, are they going to want to um, put restrictions? Um, Costs or not? No, it, um, it, 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 it won't be. It'd be you know mutually um, banned for, for both sides. So, um, and nobody's going to put a, a, a border in the Irish Sea. The British <laughs> government certainly are not going to. So, you know, when it comes to it, I think common sense will prevail, and you know we will continue to do business and trade with the EU, whether it's on WTO rules or whether we, we come up with a deal. But, but as we've seen with the EU time and time again, it's always in that 11th hour, you know, those final day of talks that, um, that, um, that they agree to something. And, no, I'd be very surprised um, if um, an agreement wasn't made. Uh, and just briefly, the story we had the other day about the possibility of a border into Kent as part of the, the process of getting goods over to the EU, surely that's what, not what anybody voted for back in 2016? 
no, no, definitely. But um, I mean, um, look, as I said, um, this is um, all about um, sovereignty and showing British sovereignty is uh, maintained. And um, and also, I mean, look, our British fishermen, you know, it's our fish. We need to make sure we, we protect our, our own uh, fishermen, our own farmers. You know, we need to invest into our, our own economies and um, having, you know, leaving the EU, we're able to do that. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. And we start with UK virus cases, as I mentioned in the first part of the programme, jumping to a record 7,156. Came after a slight lull on Monday, so some people perhaps hoping that that was the start of a downwards uh, move. Doesn't seem to be the case. The Times reporting that Merseyside is on the brink of joining the North East under tougher restrictions, a decision there due today. And the Mayor of Liverpool telling The Telegraph it's only a matter of days before a circuit breaker lockdown is introduced in the city, so the northwest area that is affected by the virus looking to expand a little bit. And indeed, the Liverpool Mayor Steve Rotherham did speak to us earlier on Bloomberg Radio and said it was, uh, wasn't the right way to go about it to issue diktats from the centre, but local politicians need to be consulted. We'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson is restoring regular virus press conferences, so that gives you a sense of how bad things are. The idea is to get a grip on his communications strategy after yesterday's blunder. The, Prime, the Sun says the Prime Minister is going to hold weekly briefings. The government scraps daily ones, of course, back in June. And separately, the Prime Minister takes to the podium today in what will be the 100th press conference since the virus began. Yeah, 5pm, set your alarms. And then here's a weird one from the FT. Pretty Patel considering building an asylum processing centre on Ascension Island for migrants coming into Britain. Ascension Island, the British overseas territory, more than 4,000 miles from the UK in the South Atlantic. It sounds like an Australian-type scheme. The Foreign Office understood to have carried out an assessment for Ascension, which included practicalities of transferring migrants thousands of miles to the island, decided not to go ahead with this. But what an odd shift that would be if we start uh, uh, bringing people to islands very, very far from our own shores. Yes, and it's a pretty grim place, essentially. I've been there myself. A couple of friends have. It's, there's almost nothing there. But it sounds maybe, so nice. Oof, far from it, I think. Volcanic yeah. and um, a little unpleasant. But uh, anyway, maybe it won't happen. Let's see. But let's now talk about Brexit, because the Brexit story looks the same as it did a year ago, in a way. The UK and the EU trying to clinch a last-minute deal. But look below the surface, and there are many sticking points to solve, where before... In a way, there was just one. We're well, us now as Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, how has threatening to break international law, the Internal Markets Bill famously, changed the mood of these negotiations? 
Well, in one sense, you could say it's almost not changed it very much at all in that here we are in the ninth round of negotiations, and there are still a number of sticking points. As you mentioned in your intro, it's not one, not just the Irish border issue that the devil talks a year ago, but we are now uh, facing obstacles over fish, over state aid, over governance issues, over even police and judicial cooperation. So this whole range of issues. Now, one thing we can say is change is a mood music is a little bit more positive. You have uh, Simon Coveney, who talked, um, spoke on Bloomberg television yesterday and said he he thinks uh, a deal is is possible. Um, you've had uh, EU officials saying that even though they're threatening legal action over the um, internal markets bill, which is the breach of the withdrawal agreement, they're still persisting with the talks and still hoping to get a deal. So, you know, in one sense, that gambit is it's almost as if the EU is saying, we see this as a bluff or as a bargaining chip, and we're just going to set it to one side and see where we can get the negotiations. Uh, but it's it's there, it's hanging over the talks, and the government is refusing to withdraw it. I think what the EU is hoping for is that if some agreement can be uh, reached over the, the various sticking points, that the government will then agree to change or amend the internal markets bill to remove its most offending uh, uh, provisions. But, um, you know, it's it's still a sort of sword of Damocles hanging over these talks. And you mentioned, Therese, in your piece that the motivation is slightly different this year and that the stakes last year were so much higher. How does that sit with what we were talking about a little bit with Andrew Jenkins in the first part of the programme, the potential economic blow at the same time as the economic... Uh, effect of the virus. Yeah, I mean, that's the big um, game changer, I think, uh, for this year. So on one sense, you'd say there's no big cliff edge the way there was a year ago, where if Britain had crashed out without any deal, you would have such disruption because you have, you know, to travel with total uncertainty on citizens' rights, no divorce agreement. Uh, I think we would have seen market turmoil, uh, economic turmoil, all of those things that we that we all worried about. Now, this time we're talking more about a, a kind of bump, particularly compared to the uh, huge economic effects of COVID. And so there's an argument, and, and many conservative backbenchers who are uh, staunch Brexit supporters make it, that the deal that can be done is so is so minute that it's actually better to walk away and have no deal and then come back in 2021 and start negotiations again. But against that, we have to put the pressures that COVID has placed on this government, the bandwidth it's taking up, the pressures on Boris Johnson now over COVID and ask, does he really want to risk adding to those, even if there's not you know, on aggregate, a major economic impact, you're still going to see lorries piled up uh, in Kent, which, you know, would happen deal or no deal. But the optics of it is what this government is going to be very wary of triggering by walking away. So I think they will do everything to try to get a deal. And the question will be, is there now still time? Yeah, because I mean, you talk about the optics and the choreography, I guess, is important because in the past, it's that last moment where Boris Johnson finds someone he can talk to, uh, and there's a, a TV opportunity, or a photo opportunity, and then the deal is produced, as it were, almost from a hat. Uh, that could happen, I suppose, but is it really likely? It's a hard one this time because there's no figure 
uh, you know, who quite could match the role Leo Varadkar played. When they met, um, by all accounts, uh, uh, Boris Johnson went in without notes, without a plan. Varadkar came and he did have something to propose. And, and the two of them had a chemistry. And Johnson was extremely motivated to get a deal because that's what unlocked his way to uh, uh, to an election, which delivered him his 80 seat majority in parliament. He no longer needs it in the same way. So, and there's no longer a figure like Varadkar. We can imagine him sitting down with say Ursula von der Leyen, uh, uh, the commission president, but it's not going to be the same. But again, you know, the, uh, uh, again, he's motivated by removing one big headache in the way of, you know, among all the headaches that he has to deal with right now. Um, one other thing I'd, I'd, I'd mentioned that's very different from last year is already when Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson met, they were working from pretty much a single legal text. Uh, all of that work had been done. And uh, my understanding is at the moment, there is not a joint legal text. They're, they're different documents. So again, a huge, huge amount of work still to be done. And time is running out for that. Um, Boris Johnson has set an October 15th deadline that can be extended, perhaps. But you know, that that remains to be seen. Yeah, I want to bring you back to Westminster, where today we have a vote on extending the virus measures, but also potentially this idea that Parliament could get a veto on future measures. And we look at it in the context of the internal markets bill, where we already saw one climb down by the government. And the interesting thing here is, this government, with its 80-seat majority, is starting to show quite a bit of vulnerability, isn't it? Yes, I think it was easy for us to forget that uh, the Tory parliamentary party and Downing Street have often not, you know, seen eye to eye on things. And within you know, every conservative government, there is uh, eventually some clash between Tory MPs and Downing Street. And we're really seeing that now. And we're seeing backbenchers really probing this government. Their, you know, their inboxes must be flooded uh, with complaints from constituents who've lost jobs, had businesses closed, don't understand the lockdown restrictions. And, and Downing Street is really getting a lot of pushback uh, now. And it will be very interesting to see how they work out, how they work it out over this uh, coronavirus bill, because a, a, a vote against the government on such a key piece of legislation would almost be making Keir Starmer's life so much easier as he, you know, continually claims that the uh, that the that the government is incompetent and doesn't know what it's doing. It would almost be the Tory backbenchers making that case for him. And what about the prime minister himself in all this, Therese? Because I mean, the, the, the stories keep coming. Oh, this is a man not really uh, enjoying it, not really a man perhaps even that well. I mean, if you looked at him fumbling the ball as he obviously did in terms of what the restrictions are, is that just more evidence of that? Yeah, I mean, I think any sign of blood or weakness, um, you know, is is pounced upon in in Westminster, as you know. And this is, we we've now seen the prime minister really on the back foot for months um, over so many decisions that have, you know, that the coronavirus has has thrown up, and it's hard to see how he regains control of the agenda here. He definitely needs a win. And that's, you know, to bring us back to our, our discussion on Brexit. That's where I think he uh, has an incentive to try to deliver something that he can say is a victory. Because right now he's uh, being attacked from all sides and, you know, has not really made a great defense of it. 
uh, albeit this is, you know, these are these are difficult and unprecedented times, but um, he's, he's still not managed um, to convince a lot of people that the government is uh, in control of policy, knows what its own policies are, and, uh, and is communicating its policy in a way that's um, understandable and, and gives confidence to voters. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.